0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, we will be in verses uh, 3 to 6. Um, you can find that in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 10. We're going to talk about presuppositions this morning. Presuppositions. Now, sometimes you just have to lay... It's just best to lay your cards out on the table right up front. There, This will be some seriously heavy lifting this morning. So drink your coffee and, and keep your mind sharp. Uh, this is some pretty heavy stuff. But sometimes uh, they say that sermons should have three parts. Uh, three parts. One, you tell them what you're going to say. Two, you say it. And then three, you remind them of what you have just said. And so that's what I'm going to do. That's my aim is to start first uh, with what you're going to be told today. I'm going to tell you right up front. um, I'm going to tell you that Christianity is the only worldview that gives logical, rational, and consistent definitions for everything you see in the world. For example, atheism. Agnosticism, Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, uh, even uh, naturalistic evolutionary um, humanism. Uh, all of those are actually incapable of giving you a justifiable reason for existence. If someone doesn't start with the creator God when discussing anything, no matter what it is, he simply starts on faulty grounds. Coherence, then, is thus null and void. So I'm going to tell you also how the church is a militant organization, that it is to be engaged in the world around it. Um, We are called to a war of ideas, a war of philosophies, a war of worldviews, and we are to destroy our opponent's argumentation with the word of God. That will be from 2 Corinthians 10 here. I'm also going to tell you about how the church is a political institution and the concept of politics is inescapable. And from there, we're going to go ahead and establish the foundation that is necessary to even discuss things like politics and religion. And then toward the end, I'm going to give you a preview of coming attractions for this series. Sound good? We're going to cover a lot of ground, but let's start here with our main idea. Only the Christian worldview gives coherent meaning to everything in life. Only the Christian worldview gives coherent meaning to everything in life. If we do not start with the creator God, as revealed in his fully and finally authoritative self-revelation, what we call the Bible, we have no justifiable reason for believing anything. Let me say it again. If we do not start with the creator God as revealed in his fully and finally authoritative self-revelation, we call the Bible, we have no justifiable reason for believing anything. We're basically just bags of meat who think things because of brain gas that go on, goes on in our heads. Whether we are talking about pol- political science, mathematics, language arts, biology, every field of study that you can think of must have an underlying philosophy that provides a foundational understanding of metaphysics. That's the nature of reality, right? Epistemology, no, I didn't swear. Epistemology is how we know things, the theory of knowledge. So anything you talk about, there has to be a philosophical foundation that gives an understanding of metaphysics epistemology, how we know things, how do we know what we know and how do we know that to be true? And lastly, ethics, right versus wrong. So no one looks at geology or mathematics from a neutral standpoint. You cannot approach any topic, including politics, by itself on its own. No one just looks at it Purely objectively, without any presuppositions, no one looks at those things from a neutral standpoint. You cannot do it. It's impossible. It can't be done. We all bring our preconceived presuppositions, things we presuppose, we we bring those to the table every single time. And all of those things are part of a worldview. What's a worldview? Well, here it is on the screen. This is my definition. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe and by which we interpret and discern the world and everything in the world. These are the fill in the blanks on the app if you're following along. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths, okay? It's a collection of things that we presuppose about the world, these truths, through which we fit everything we believe, Everything we believe fits through this, these, this worldview and by which we interpret and discern the world and everything in the world. It is impossible not to have a worldview. For even in denying the possession of a worldview, one actually gives evidence to the worldview that exists that says one doesn't even have a worldview. Everyone has it. You can't not have it. A worldview is always there. We all have a collection of presupposed truths through which we see everything. Worldview is really like a pair of glasses. It's it's what we assume about nature, about knowledge, about ethics, and and truth. Uh, Things like laws of logic, right? The law of non-contradiction and other things. Laws of logic. And how we even know things to be true All of that comes into play when we're talking about worldview. You put these glasses on, and you begin to see and interpret the world around you. Now, there are only two worldviews, Christian and non-Christian. That's it. There are only two worldviews, Christian and non-Christian. Only one of them is ultimately true. Now, worldviews tell you about the nature of man... Uh, About man's responsibilities before God, the nature of good and evil, the nature of law, the the nature of justice, and even the nature of jurisprudence. Things like how we govern. Okay? So worldviews tell you everything about anything. And so what I'm saying this morning is that we must see the world around us, including the political world, through the lens of what I call a theoepistemology. Theos in Greek is, means God. Epistemology, we've already defined, it means the theory of knowing. We need to know everything through God, a theoepistemology. In other words, we know things because God has revealed himself. We're not groping around in the dark, right, in the dark philosophizing about truth. Well, maybe this is true and this is true. No, that's not Christianity. We're not groping around in the dark. God has spoken, and now we are walking in the light, looking and observing all of his truth. Any non-Christian worldview gropes around in the dark, and any guess at truth that they get right is actually a gift from God. Hence, you can be an atheist and you can affirm that 2 plus 2 equals 4. At any rate, in a world where ideas are absolutely clamoring for attention, things like socialism and justice and liberty and etc., we are called to take every thought captive to Christ. We are called to destroy every idea that does not conform to God. So let's look at our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, verse 5 It's kind of where we're honed in on, okay? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, in the previous letter to the Corinthian church, um, the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.15 that the truly spiritual person judges all things, meaning that he looks at the world around him and is sure to discern rightly, to examine closely what he thinks about it through the lens of God's word. Now, usually we think of spiritual people, you know, the person who, who has prayed several hours this morning, and they're just super pious, and, and they, yeah, I've prayed you know, five hours this morning, I'm feeling great. Wow, he must be really spiritual. But that's not the way the, the Bible defines it. The Bible defines spirituality by how we judge the world, how we discern the things in the world. So that's what Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians 2. But now fast forward to 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says that we take down, we refute, we destroy arguments, ideas, and opinions, taking them captive as if in war, and we make them obey Christ. Now, the, the language here of the Apostle Paul is clearly military language. The, this church, uh, our church, and all churches that are named the name of Christ as Lord, are militant. Um, we don't have carnal weapons. Paul says that in verse 3 and 4 here. We don't have carnal weapons, meaning that, that we aren't anarchists who like to just burn things. Um, but, and we're not violent, though we will defend ourselves. But we do have weapons, and we are at war. Paul demonstrates here that there are rivaling worldviews. There are towers There are strongholds, right? Metaphorically speaking, these are simply intellectual arguments, vain curiosities. Turn on the TV, you'll see things, arguments, opinions, things that are out there about anything and everything from religion to politics. Those strongholds that the world proposes does so in such a way as to go against the gospel message. When the gospel is preached and the biblical worldview is defended, these things, Paul says, are destroyed. Sinful man comes up with an idea. The gospel tears it down. But we aren't just destroying stupid opinions, though that is part of it. We are bringing people's thoughts under the lordship of Christ. So any idea, any thought, any postulation, any theory... Any proposition, any bit of conjecture, or any any concept that does not have its foundation in the biblical worldview is not in a position of neutrality. It's hostile to Christianity. Any thought that is out there when you're sitting back, kicking back, watching the news, and so and so says this, whether it's a political science theory or any other opinion about religion, you name it, when you're sitting back, you are discerning what was just said, and immediately you think, well, that's not what the scriptures say. It's hostile to Christianity. So, the theory of evolution, for example, taught in public schools, is not a harmless doctrine. It's a tactical move by humanists to try and build and develop a stronghold. And we destroy it because Christ Jesus is Lord. So if any idea or philosophy doesn't start from our worldview, founded upon Scripture, it does not comport with reality. It is not true. Don't believe it. So the reason for not believing it, things like evolution, that was just one that popped in my mind this week, but... The reason we shouldn't believe it is because the gospel undermines all rival worldviews. It undermines it. Every time. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-two says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Which is to say that those who wish to be obedient to Christ, those who wish to disciple the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey Christ and his Bible, they must scale the city of the mighty and tear down all of its faulty logic. So with the word of God in tow, you can't lose an argument. You can't. You cannot lose an argument. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there and listened to people spew their nonsense and I'm like, I wish I was on TV right now. (laughs) I wish for just a second. But alas, here I am. But you can't you can't be salt and light without coming close to rotten rotting meat and darkness, right? So we're engaged in the world. We have a worldview that undermines all other worldviews that are just sinking ships in the ocean of God's truth. But make no mistake, we are at war in this culture in a very real sense, and the war is about definitions. It's about definitions. For example, the issue of same-sex mirage. It's an issue of definitions. The the Christian worldview says that the marriage, marriage is between one heterosexual biological male and one heterosexual biological female. That's our definition because that's the Scripture's definition. And and yet that's not the definition of those who are in rebellion against God. I don't care how many black coats say what they say. Marriage, sexuality, gender, all of these things in our culture are malleable. You can can just kind of do what you want, feel how you want to feel, and don't judge me. Circles can become squares. Two plus two doesn't have to equal four. And if you think that, you're a narrow-minded bigot. Forgive me, ma'am, or sir, or whatever, for trying to do math. I didn't realize we were playing fast and loose with, I don't know, logic. Now, before we move on, I have one more premise to establish. And this will be absolutely vital for the rest of the entire series. So, here it is on the screen. The Bible alone is the standard of truth. Okay? Okay. The Bible alone is the standard of truth. In his book, um, A Christian Theory of Knowledge, Cornelius Van Til, I think he died in like 87. He said, the essence of the idea of scripture is that it alone is the criterion of truth. Now, Van Til, he's one of the most brilliant men of the last century. I think he's right. I know he's right. Our presupposition... The thing that we presuppose when we engage the world around us, the thing that we are presupposing is that to know truth and be able to even justify truth is to believe the word of God. Now, that's not just me saying it or even Van Til saying it. Jesus said it. Flip back to the Gospel of John. Your word Is truth. John 17, verse 17. This is one you need to to have highlighted, underlined, and/or tattooed, whatever your choice. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. (laughs) Halagas ha soth alethea estin. Estin is your word is truth. Now notice that Jesus didn't say that God's word is true or that it contains some truth. He didn't, say that, he, he didn't say that. He said, God's word, your word, is truth. Now there's a major difference here and one that we must not miss. Now had Jesus said, sanctify them, Father, because your word is true. If he had said that, then we might be tempted to think that the Bible is true because we're able to use some other standard out here to verify its truthfulness. You tracking? If he had said your word is true, then that means we would have been tempted to look to something else, some greater standard to go at it and say, well, that is true. Well, that's not true. That's why those who would say, well, the Bible is just full of a bunch of contradictions, yada, 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 it's not true. And my response is usually not to defend the fact that there are no contradictions, that it is without error. My response to that is, where did you look to know that this is false? How, How do you know that? What did you look to? What standard of truth that is immaterial that is out there in laws of logic land, that has an ethical consideration, that knows what reality is, how did you find out that the word wasn't true? And alas, they have nothing to say. Well, it's just my opinion. You're right, and it's wrong. Thanks for playing. So if the Bible is just true then something else gives us a standard by which we say it's true or not true or false or what have you. But that's not our position. The Christian position is not that the Bible is true. It's not our worldview. It's not our presupposition. The Christian position is that the Bible alone is the final standard for all truth. So truth is based upon reality. And reality is what God says it is. And God says what reality is in truth and through the Bible. So God's holy word is the ultimate definition of what is true and what is false. It is itself truth. It's verifiable by nothing else. It's the revelation of God himself, and God himself cannot be verified by anything or anyone else because he alone exists as truth. So, the implications of this are far reaching, but know that the big implication is that the is that because the bible because the Bible is the ultimate standard of truth, it is also the very reference point for determining the veracity of other truth claims. so we always start there: does it comport with the Word of God, or does it not? The Bible is the final arbiter for determining whether or not something is true. So if an idea or philosophy or a political idea, you name it, does not conform to scripture, it is therefore false. If it does not, if it does comport with scripture and it conforms with the teachings of the apostles and so on and so forth from Genesis to Revelation, if it does, then it's true. And and if you remember, uh, Pilate asked Jesus in John 18, What is truth? Do you remember that scene? What is truth? The answer is, truth is that which God says, and that which God says is given to us in the Bible alone. But Jesus didn't actually answer him. That's what I would have said. Okay, well, what does this have to do with politics and religion? Because now my brain hurts and I need more coffee. Great question. The reason I am starting here this morning where I am is because we need to know before we discuss anything, including politics, we need to know where truth is to be discovered. Okay? We have to know it. I'm assuming, maybe not every one of you, but you all just sang a song that our God is the king. Uh, Psalm 47, 8. He reigns over the nations. And we have no other king but Jesus. And that he's Lord of what? All. Well, except for government. Except for education. Except for this, that, and the other. I mean, he is Lord of all, but not really. We have to know before we discuss anything political Where to go for truth. Any opinion, any philosophy, any argument has to align with the Holy Scriptures. Otherwise, you are on the wrong side of this. So if I have an opinion and it it flies in the face of God's self-revelation, I now have a wrong opinion. Now, I know, I know. You think, brace yourselves. People can be wrong about something. (gasps) Gasp. Gasp. How intolerant. If you're not rooted in the truth of God's word, you'll basically be a slave to the latest thinking in pop culture. You'll have secular professors tell you things that you won't be able to refute because you don't know your Bible and you don't have an answer. You'll hear something like, everyone in our society must pay their fair share of taxes. And you'll think, well, yeah, of course, we need need to be fair across the board instead of seeing that as legalized theft, because after all, all ungodly taxation is theft, and thus it's a violation of God's commandment, you'll soon become a socialist and you put a sticker, a cute sticker on your car. Why? Because now you've violated the seventh and 10 commandments, which says you can't steal and you shouldn't covet. Oh, but no. We'll get to some more of that later in this series but that's I think that 's part of the problem with a lot of younger generations coming up we 've dropped the ball in some areas you know they aren 't taught the biblical worldview, but instead they 're taught to expect society to basically de- to decay Well, things are just going to get bad and go from bad to worse and don 't think you can change it don 't think you can do anything right now in the here and now don 't come up with cute strategies just so a lot of these Young students, they get off to go off to college and they hear all these ideas. And instead of taking them captive to the Lord Jesus Christ, they buy it hook, line, and sinker. Instead of being equipped with a, with a biblical worldview, saturated in scriptures, the average college senior who graduates from college has been so inoculated by secular humanism that he or she goes into the world, forgets the church, and looks for truth elsewhere as if it can be found somewhere else. Listen, I realize that I'm about to make a very intolerant statement, but truth is not relative. But there are foolish people who would say things like, well, truth is what you say it is. Truth is however you want to define it. It's relative, to which usually we respond, well, is that true? (laughs) Is your truth claim about relativity relative, subjective, Listen, because Jesus has been established as the name above all names, and since he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he has full authority to set the rules. And so either we will play by his rules or we'll, come up, we'll commit spiritual suicide. That, those are the options. That's all you got. So either we will obey his word and follow his rule, or we will obey man's word and follow man's arbitrary rules. So inevitably, inevitably it boils down to this and... Van Till made this ob- observation. He said the choice is between autonomy or theonomy. Autos is the Greek word for self. Namos is law. The option is between being governed by man's law or God's law. It's just that simple. That's where it boils down to. We'll get into some of that next week. But I want to go back to where we started. Only the Christian worldview gives coherent meaning to everything in life. Only the Christian worldview gives coherent, knowledgeable, rational, logical meaning to everything in life. All of this is foundational to politics and religion, to everything. We must commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in all things, in all things. And this will be a challenge for some of you Because we've gotten really good at saying, well, Jesus is king of my heart. True, He is. Well, Jesus is Lord over the church. You're getting warmer. He is Lord over the President of the United States, He is Lord over Congress, He is Lord over the Supreme Court. He is the Supreme Court. So as we'll see next week, there, there is no neutrality in the world, which means that either everything, in, everything will be in conformity to King Jesus and his will as shown in the scriptures, or it will go the way of the secular humanists. You, you, wanna, you want an answer as to why things are the way they are right now? There you go. But we have to start with the word of God when discussing anything. It doesn't matter what it is. We start with the word of God. We don't start with partisan politics. We don't start with which animal and color you are. We don't start with any vain curiosity. We don't start with an idea. Oh, I was thinking the other day. We start with scripture. And it applies to everything. And I say this time and time again, and I don't mean to be rude, but if someone confronts me with an idea or a political idea or theological belief or whatever, my attitude is always book, chapter, and verse, please. Because I don't care what you think. You shouldn't care what I think. You should care what the scriptures think. That's where we go to find truth. Your word is Truth So, if we 're going to approach government, taxation, private property, free trade economics, money, criminal justice, war, we have to be grounded in scripture, otherwise we 're just throwing our opinions out, which is to say quite simply that if you think that the Bible does not address these things and that the state somehow is not under king jesus authority, then we have a problem. Not only have you undermined the sufficiency of the scriptures, you now have to tell me or anyone else listening why you can justify your opinion or your belief. And as I have demonstrated, you can't do that apart from the Christian worldview rooted in the Bible, which is the absolute truth from an absolute sovereign God. Had these discussions quite a bit. Well, this is what I think think we need to take money from rich people and give it to poor people. Okay, you, Christians have said this. You have literally broken like half the commandments. Theft. Well, it doesn't matter if the state does it. We have a problem of statism that we'll address in this series too. Now, I, I wanna I wanna shift gears before wrapping up. I wanna give you something to consider. You ever you ever been told that the church is too political? Ah, you guys are t- too political. Can't talk politics. You ever had someone say to you that, that separation of church and state? Right? Isn't that somewhere in the Constitution? No, it's not. Separation of church and state. You guys can't talk about these things. Plus the Johnson Amendment, right? 501c3, you can't speak to these issues. A lot of people think separation of church and state means that the church churches have no business or nor authorization to speak to issues surrounding politics. And I've been told that. And many people blush at the idea. They just... They, They get nervous at the idea that the church actually should be involved in politics to some degree. Well, guess what? Jesus is Lord. He owns this place. It doesn't get any more political than that. The church is, in fact, a political institution. We are ambassadors of King Jesus. In the Greek language, church is ekklesia, ekklesia which is a politically distinctive term that Jesus chose and the early church chose to describe themselves. The word literally means a political assembly, a called-out assembly with a lot of political overtones. Now, they didn't choose the word synagogue, interestingly enough. Synagogue is a religious gathering. They didn't choose that word. They chose ecclesia, political all the way. It's an explosive word. And the word politics, we should define that. And it'll set us up for next week and the weeks to come. As far as linguistics go, politics comes from the Greek word polis, which is a city-state. That's where we get politics, right? Um, It's also connected to another word, which is what we would call someone a a citizen. So by definition, politics is simply how society organizes itself, how society administers justice. That's really what we're talking about. Um, It's the art and science of civil government. Now... I bring this up because I want you to know what I mean when I say certain words. Because, again, there's a war of definitions in our culture. So it's important for us to have our definitions in order. We probably should have that clear. So in Scripture, everything is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. You will hear me say that quite a bit. Everything is covenantal. Nothing is neutral. In other words, everything stems from God... Because God has condescended to reveal himself to creation. Okay? That's, that's covenant. He revealed himself to us. He stooped down. And he, the triune God, he's revealed himself in scripture. He is the only self existent, absolute, sovereign, and totally free authority in all of the universe. He is infinite, he is internal, he is immutable, which simply means he never changes. His standard for justice and truth never changes either. And so, through his word, as we have said, God defines the parameters for all truth, all good. What is evil? What is justice? What is liberty? Everything is covenantal. Everything goes back to the fact that he is the creator. Without him, we are nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And only depending upon him in this covenantal relationship do we have life. Everyone is bound to God covenantally. Either we are in Adam and we have sinned and rebelled against him, or we are in Christ and he has given us a new heart and we live for his glory. Everyone, though, owes their allegiance back to this God who has revealed himself. It's amazing that God has revealed himself to us. He, he stooped down. He even had to talk baby talk. Walking up to us. Goo goo gaga, you finite creature, you that I made, that I love, but you don't even know how to formulate a word. You're just a baby. He stooped down. This stooping down is this binding connection to God. That's the covenant. And so when I say everything is covenantal, I mean that everything stems back to God's self revelation. He made the world, he made the laws of logic and so forth. He created man, he made all things. That's the covenant relationship. That's the connection. The transcendent God who is out there and distinct from creation has, has become near to us. The holy God has become close. And so God in his sovereign decrees, he has ordained some things. And as it goes for our particular series, he has ordained three main social institutions. Okay? And all of them come under his authority. And we'll unpack this in the series, but know this. Those three institutions are the family, the church, and the state. Those are the three main social institutions that he has created So his word tells us how families should function, how churches should should function, and how government should function. So as the supreme governor of the universe, God has granted this idea of government. And we'll talk again more in the coming weeks about those ideas, especially the role of the state as it pertains to scripture. But the foundational government of all of that is man's self-government, which we will cover, Lord willing, on the 23rd. We are to be governed under God as individuals and as families and as churches and as political entities. So, final thoughts. The church doesn't have a political ethic. The church is the political ethic. The church doesn't have a kingdom agenda. The church is the kingdom agenda. So as the the gospel message of salvation is proclaimed and as nations bow before Christ as their supreme commander-in-chief in history, this will happen through the proclamation of the gospel. Our weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual. We take down strongholds. We take down ideas with the word of God because the Lord is our God and because Jesus is on the throne, we have to start there. We have to start with his lordship. So now our presuppositions are on the table. Okay? I laid the cards out. The word of God is our final authority. God invented governments on all levels because He is the Supreme God, and without Him we are nothing. Now we have to figure it out. It'll be fun, I promise. Or painful, depending on your particular position. Let's pray. Father, I know this has been a lot, a lot to take in. And yet really on one level, it's actually quite simple, quite easy. And really it's easy because you have graciously revealed yourself to us. You have stooped down and given us a glimpse of who you are. Through both your word and your son, we call him the Lord Jesus, God with us. We understand, Father, that there are a lot of ideas floating out there that suggest to us that man is the center of the universe, that man is able to somehow govern himself on his own terms. And Lord Jesus, we bow before you knowing that this is a lie. Father, you have established your son on Zion and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for ruling and reigning from heaven. May your enemies bow before you lest you break them with a rod of iron. May your church here in this nation rise up and proclaim your word with boldness. May Callwood's light never be hidden under a bushel. May you draw people to yourself by the power of your ever-present Holy Spirit. To the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.